Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. How's it going, everybody? I'm back. You're listening to the Fellow Traveler. Today is April 4th. Spring is upon us, and I'm here today with Joy Ike. How are you doing, Joy? Hi, I'm doing great. You're joining me from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're but did you grow up in Philly? No, no, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Oh, really? I um moved to Philly about eight and a, eight and a half years ago. Oh yeah. And so I'm just in Pittsburgh for for uh, a bit with a few family things. Um, but man do I love Philly (laughs) yeah Philly's really cool yeah I was just down in that area I didn't get to stop into Philly but I was right outside in New Jersey with a friend we we were in Moorestown which is just outside I don't know if you've ever been it's a cute Mm -hmm. little town but um speaking of Philly a few months ago I talked to um Shane Claiborne have you run into him in 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 Philly I've never run into him no he's very reputable yeah I know he's cool (laughs) and um they have this new shop where they take guns and turn them into jewelry and ornaments and stuff like that it's really cool oh that's cool (laughs) yeah you you heard it's called the raw tools shop in Philly but you grew up in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania what what's it like in in Pennsylvania growing up there well, specifically in Pittsburgh, it's I, I like to describe Pittsburgh as a city, a small city, uh, I don't know, an average size city with a small town feel. I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, it's very homey. It's a great place to raise a family. Um, it's got just enough, but not too much. And mm. it's always felt, you know, homey, I, I think. Yeah, I think that's how I would describe it. It kind of reminds me of Worcester a little bit. You've been up to uh, Worcester. Yeah, I've been to Worcester once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's actually where we met. I, uh, man, it was yeah. quite a, quite a while ago. Yeah, but, um, it's years you now. Came, you came up, and um, you guys were at the Nine Dot Gallery, which isn't at, around anymore. Unfortunately, Johnny Vo closed it. But the Nine Dot Gallery was a cool little art gallery, and and my brother and his wife. Mm-hmm. Who were once the the promises hope now they're Ash and Eric, mm-hmm. but they used to play there quite often. And you happen to be in the area, and I remember that show. That was a really great show. I do. Yeah. I remember that vividly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great turnout, great vibe. Love the art galleries and all those non traditional spaces. For sure. I mean, if you're ever in um, the Worcester area again, I can, we can, we can host you somewhere for a concert. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it was beautiful, some beautiful playing and beautiful music, songwriting, your piano player. Yeah, it's been my, it's been my uh, instrument of choice for 17 years. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Do you play any other instruments? Uh, I always joke and say that I I dabble at the ukulele. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, dabble in ukulele. I do play the ukulele, but I wouldn't ever call myself a ukulele player out of respect mm-hmm. for all the legit players out there. <laughs> well, I'm sure you you can hold your own for sure. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You know, I'm sure we can get into this a little bit as we talk about your journey, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your songwriting and whatnot. Um, but we can start with talking about your... Uh, your spiritual heritage. Where do you where do you find your roots in your Christian spirituality, and um, what experiences have you had that have kind of shaped your faith, either kept you in it or 
changed it or morphed it in any ways. And I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Wow. That is as a much, loaded question. <laughs> you can share as little as much as you want to. And uh, wow, you know. what a loaded question. Yeah. I'm yeah. So I am a Jesus follower. Um, many would uh, think of that as Christian. I, so I, I would like to say that I am a Christian as triggering as that is to people who are listening these days who have as many misconceptions and, uh, or even real experiences, um, that may be positive or negative, um, real personal experiences. Um, but I am a Bible believing Christian and, you know, I grew up that way, but I had to come to a point where that was my own faith. And there were years where I really questioned questioned the truths that I had um, grown up with. I grew up in a very devout Christian home. Um, my parents are Nigerian. And so they came from, uh, the thing about Nigerians is that if you're going to do anything, you're going to do it all the way. So <laughs> if you're going to, um, you know, follow Christ, it's not just uh, one day of the week kind of thing it's part of your every day. It's part of your, your daily rituals. It's part of, um, you know, how you, how you think, how you process, how you, you know, the, the lens that you look at the world through. Um, and I grew up in a house where the only two things that mattered were education and your faith in Christ. Um, I, I would say that for many, for most of my younger years, I kind of, you know, went through the motions, quote unquote, you went to my church, went to church because my parents made me. Um, I like to joke and say I went to church for fire insurance, you know, fire the insurance that I wouldn't burn. <laughs> I'm sure many people have heard that expression before. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe more or less fear of like, what would happen if I didn't, my fear of what would happen if I didn't, you know, quote unquote, follow the rules and, and do what I was told and all the things that you think uh, faith is supposed to be. Um, but it wasn't until my early 20s, this is really past the college years where I really started to ask questions of what do I believe and why do I believe it? You know, I'm coming through college and, you know, so many people have so many different worldviews and I'm writing music and I'm playing shows and uh, venues, most of them are, um, are mainstream venues. Um, and at that point too, I kind of felt like I really wanted to be writing music, not for the church community, even though that was really all I knew. Like even in college, I commuted all four years. I kind of was in this bubble. And the way I think of it is it was more or less a fear bubble of not knowing how to connect with people who didn't think the way I thought and didn't live the way I thought. And so in my 20s, I really started to ask some serious questions like, what do I believe in and why do I believe it? Um, is my faith my faith or is it the faith of my parents? Um, and that took me on a journey <clears throat> through my 20s and my 30s. And I'm still on it. We're all still on a journey that just keeps going and going and going. Um, really wanting to know a God that wasn't a God that of my head, you know, head knowledge, but heart knowledge, like in my heart, like, is God real to me? Um, and do I believe that Jesus is real? And what is a difference in believing in Jesus and in all these other versus all these other religions um, that, um, that all have their own, um, you know, uh, prophets or, um, yeah, what do they, what would you call them? Like faith leaders or whatever, whatever it might be. Like, do I believe Jesus is real? And and yes, if I believe Jesus is real, then that's going to inform everything I do because we live out of our convictions and we live out of our beliefs. Um, so that's kind of been the the journey I've been on um, through my twenties and my thirties. About to hit forty this year. Crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, you know, I think for me, the, the bottom line is that um, Jesus has always offered another way, you know, like we live in this world. And, and if the pandemic and the last three, four years of our lives has proved anything, it's that human nature is uh, raw and, you know, people are cruel. 
you know, and it's like when, when one thing happens, like one negative thing happens, you know, to, to someone, when one person instigates something negative, the other person retaliates with something just as negative or even more negative. And so we kind of have this dog eat dog, um, existence that we, we are, we're living out. And I don't think you can talk to anyone and they would say that the world is getting better. You know, like we're just kind of going as a slow descent, um, but it's most certainly a descent. Um, but Jesus is, uh, is the perfect example of what it looks like to know that you actually have the upper hand yet at the same time, you still humble yourself. You don't try and exert your authority. You don't try and prove to people that you're better than them, but instead you humble yourself and you serve them. And, and that's really the core of what it means to live as Christ lived. And that really is um, the truth that informs the life that I want to live. Nice. So what, I was just out of curiosity, like what denomination did you grow up in? Um, I grew up in a non-denominational church uh, mm. for a, a couple years when I was in grade school, we went to an assemblies of God church. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But for the core of my younger years, non-denominational. Yeah. And I've always, uh, I've always been around non-denominational churches. Um, Cause I think really the, the, the goal and, and the hope is for Christians and believers, no matter what denomination is that, you know, Jesus is the, is what brings us together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, so mm-hmm. it's many, many faces, many bodies, but only one spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the glue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I grew up in, in, I also grew up in um the Assemblies of God churches too, well, yeah. one in particular, my parents were part of a church plant in the 90s, so mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was always such an interesting experience and and like to compare it with other denominations like the way a lot of other churches run it's it's just so fascinating how different it is mm-hmm. and it's interesting too you you come across quite a few characters too you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> in those, you in do. Those, especially non-denominational churches you get a lot <laughs> quite a few characters it's, it's, it's for better or for worse it's it's, it's yeah yeah that's a great way to say for better or for worse <laughs> you get it all you really Uh, do it's like you know growing up in charismatic atmospheres you really have to use your discernment and just be like well is Mm. this like is this pure yeah or is this is this uh like conjured up you know and people want to go to places where you know the expression is safe or the expression is predictable but Mm -hmm. that's not how god works you know god can do whatever he wants you know I think the the reality is ultimately you just want you just want it to be authentic. You don't want it to mm-hmm. be conjured. You don't want it to be you don't want it to be fake. You don't want it to be um you don't want it to be rehearsed. You just want it to be real. Um yeah. and so yeah, that's the I want to be wherever mm-hmm. wherever people are real and wherever people are really plugged into what God's doing. Now in those churches, did you ever have can you recall any experiences that really like stuck out to you that you're like even mystical experience especially in, in charismatic circles i mean i feel like mm-hmm. a lot, for a lot of people um that can be kind of a hard topic because some people haven't had ex- mystical experiences you know in this mm-hmm. and then they kind of feel like oh does god not love me does god not care or whatever but but i'm curious like in your end like did you ever have any kind of experiences and to to that end where like God was really just trying to show you something in a mystical way? Hmm. I've been in so many settings where I have felt and I have seen, I've felt the presence of God and I have seen God do things that couldn't be explained in any other way. Um, I've been in places where I walked in, like there's this, there's this worship community that I like to visit in Dallas called the upper room. And Every time I walk into that sanctuary, it's like there is a heavy weight in there. It's like there's a there's almost like a, a presence that's been cultivated in that place where you can feel that there is mm, how do I describe it in layman's terms? Like it just feels like no, I know I know what you're talking about. It's coded with mm-hmm. like goodness and glory. There, there's something in the air. 
where yeah. you can just feel the sacredness of it. And exactly, it's funny. Like, I think everybody's experienced this, whether they're religious or not. Too, like, if you've ever been to like a funeral or even at a wedding, mm-hmm. there's something there's something different in the air. Yeah, or like a, you know, when I was younger, growing up in a small town, we used to have a, a parade for every Memorial's Day, and um, I'd had the honors of doing taps on the trumpet like that you know the da, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> and me and my friends would like be all strategic about it and like he'd always be me and my friend adam he was always the main uh trumpet and i was like the echo so i'd like go and hide somewhere behind a tree and i remember in those <laughs> moments always feeling like that weight some sort of weight of glory or um yeah there's just something um sacred about those moments it's like yeah. the thing uh, there's certain things that we do that create thin space between us and heaven yeah like that yeah. veil is gets mm-hmm. pulled back yeah sacred is such a great uh, a great word um yeah i've been in pl- i've been in places where you could you could feel it tangibly mm-hmm. and you know when we talk about scripture we talk about there's two ways that we we talk about scripture logos which is the written word mm-hmm. I believe it's Greek, if I'm not mistaken. Logos is yeah. the word. And then rhema means the word come alive. It basically mm-hmm. means the word actually is living and breathing. And mm-hmm. so the, my journey in faith has had a lot to do with how does what I'm reading go from being this thing on paper that is strictly head knowledge to now being <clears throat> this thing that I'm embodying, this thing that I'm living because it, it, the word itself is living. Um, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, how does this actually become alive? And so speaking of, you know, these sacred atmospheres, when you go into a room and you feel something different, you know, that's Rhema, the Rhema word, like the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is alive, living and breathing. And we spend so much time, I think, um, in church talking about father and son, but we don't typically talk about Holy Spirit because mm-hmm. that's really where things get mysterious and like, yeah. So, so I think for me, my journey with getting to know God more is really like, God, what is, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, if that's part of the Trinity, then I want to know the Holy Spirit and revere and learn uh, in the same way that I've learned about God and Jesus, but not just learn, know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is interesting as you, as you delve deeper into scripture too, you, you learn the Greek words and there's even different words for the word no in greek Ah. really fascinating there's there's knowing as in head knowledge but then there's knowing as in an experiential knowing yeah and oftentimes when jesus like for example a great example is in john is it john 14 or john 17 when he's talking about i pray that you that they may know or uh, something about like yeah they when you know me you've known the father something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm, we speak mm-hmm. about that experiential knowing yeah not just knowing because yeah. oftentimes we think about oftentimes faith is presented like that or um mm-hmm. you know a profession of faith is presented like that it's like it's just something you intellectually ascend to rather than something you you actually come yeah that actually grabs onto you and you experience yeah and i i would say like whenever i I have I I hear of or I know um of people or friends who have given up on the faith and that's been a big thing you know mm-hmm. over the last few years with a lot of deconstruction going sure. on it's like uh, it that grieves my heart and again I think everybody's on a journey but it grieves my heart because I want people to get from the knowledge of a thing to the en- encountering encountering Jesus into and experiencing the realness of who he is. But we live in a world where we're all about facts, you know? Um, And if we don't have the facts, then it doesn't matter, but there's so much more than facts. And and in fact, it's like uh, the journey of faith is all about tossing out the facts half the time and trusting and admitting that you actually don't know everything but 
that, you know, doing that means you're relinquishing control. And we as humans have a really hard time relinquishing control. So um, I think that that for me has been my journey with the Lord. I mean, actually in a season right now where I'm having to toss out all of the things I know and all of the control I've had and start from scratch with Jesus and just be like, man, oh man, I really thought I knew what was going on. <laughs> you know, I really thought I had it together and he's kind of just like taking me deeper and, uh, you know, working on my, uh, my pride. <laughs> Would you care to share what that looks like? Uh, like, like an example? I mean, if you want to. Wow. What would I care <laughs> to share what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, I think just like on a practical level, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people are experiencing the same thing, right? A lot of people, I think whether we like it or not, like, unfortunately, maybe for better or for worse is another phrase, but for better or for worse, deconstruction exists, you know? Yeah. And and at some point we do have to question and, and put to the test what we believe, you know, and, and, um, it's and, so true and hold on to what's true and let go of what's false, you know, and purge yeah yeah and go through those seasons but but like i mean for me deconstruction yeah. has been a really it's been a really positive experience for a lot of people deconstruction mm-hmm. has been is a painful experience yeah and it's yeah. just it's disheartening and, and disillusioning yeah and i'm totally happy to share but i was gonna say too it's like i don't think deconstruction is necessarily a bad thing you know because yeah. like sometimes you have to decide you have to go through the process of, of determining like, is what I've been living based on what other people are telling me based on the ways that I've been quote unquote programmed my whole life by the people in my life or the authorities in my life, or is it actually the truth? Cause sometimes somebody in authority can tell you something and you can believe mm-hmm. it's true and it might not be true, but you believe it just because they're above you or because they have yeah. a higher rank than, you know, than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the only authority in our lives, that should be the Lord, you know, should be mm-hmm. God, you know? Um, I, I think some people might not agree with that because some people here probably don't even believe in God who are listening to this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, that's who, that's the judge. And so you need to be good with him. And if you're good with him, then you don't have to be worrying. You don't have to worry about being good with other people, but the hope is, you know, even thinking about this week, uh, this Easter season that we're in, you know, the cross always symbolizes the vertical, um, being in alignment with God, but also the, um, horizontal being in alignment with people. Mm. So the hope is that if you are in alignment with God, that affects how you relate to other people, because God is love. And if he's love, then that means that, when we're oriented and when we're aligned with him, we orient ourselves with other people, um, out of that alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, I guess I would say for me, um, this journey I'm going through now is kind of a journey of suffering. Um, I can't actually get into too much detail because I'm still in the middle of a quite a long story. That's been about eight months long, but it's got me in a place where I am asking God all the questions of like, I thought I have been doing everything right my whole life. And for whatever reason, I'm crashing and burning and failing and I have nothing to show for it, you know? And uh, it's, it's kind of had me in a place where I'm, I've been in a perpetual transition mode uh, now for almost a year. Um, I've been in limbo, kind of like kind of been existing in between worlds and uh, really in a holding pattern. I know this is all vague, but I really just can't, I can't tell the story. No, I understand. I understand. <laughs> I will tell the story because I always tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be a good one. But, um, but yeah, it's been this crazy holding pattern where life has literally come to a complete stop for me. Um, and I've had to really trust that God is writing the story and that he writes good stories. Um, and it kind of pushes back against uh, pretty much most of the, most of the way that I've been living my whole life, you know, trusting that, you know, when you, 
you know, live according, live, live righteously. Let's just use that word. I know that's a weighty word, but live righteously, you know, trying to do the right thing and all, all of the things that you think that you're supposed to do when you're living a a righteous life, um, making good decisions, um, taking care of others, taking care of yourself, dot, dot, dot. Um, I guess where I am right now in life has me, has me like, constantly asking the question is there going to be a payoff like am I going to arrive um am I going to feel like it was all worth it you know um and it's gotten me into a real mess of brokenness (laughs) yeah is it kind of wrestling with doubt too oh tons of it tons and tons of doubt (laughs) of like man what what have I been doing this whole time Mm -hmm. and um yeah just daily surrendering like surrender and trust are the two big words for me in this season like trust the process you know like trust that God's in control and that he's writing a beautiful story um because it hasn't looked beautiful for a long time um, if I told anyone listening, if I told them the story right now, they would just be like, no, you, you totally made this whole thing up. Totally, <laughs> It's yeah. that crazy, but yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, as you, I mean, as your, your story has progressed, like where, um, where do you find yourself? Like, as far as like a church that you're part of or or church or church community or have you have you have you explored other denominations other than the non-denominational or charismatic um world i don't know traditions or worlds yeah yeah i mean so right now i have a worship community in philadelphia that i'm a part of um and it's basically a gathering of believers all across the city who get together um, worship together. And really there's a focus on praying for the city of Philadelphia. Um, cause there's just, uh, there's a major poverty issues, violence, drug use, and all those different things. Um, and we really are focused on lifting those things up spiritually, we totally believe in doing, doing, uh, actively doing things to, uh, show up where you feel called you know there are so many different people in this community that are that are uh part of other different communities you know some are educators some are in the medical field you know whatever but at at the same time i think as a church we haven't really uh like we say we believe in prayer but we don't act like we believe in prayer and so the focus of this worship community is prayer and so um that all with that said i i love visiting other uh other churches and other worship communities um i just love all of the expressions there are you know it's it's like for me at the end of the day it doesn't matter if, if a service is more liturgical um it doesn't matter um the denomination um the only thing that matters is that you know we worship in spirit and in truth which basically means that this worship is for an audience of one and so it's not people pleasing it's not you know lights camera action you know if you want to use fake smoke that's fine but it can't be about the show (laughs) you know it's got to be about um you know getting in alignment with god and so those are the places that i love to be may i ask what's the community called or is it is it an organization yeah, it's in Philadelphia, and it's called P-Todd, Philadelphia Tabernacle of David. Oh, wow. Yeah, people so can check it, it out. Based, is it based out of a church? Um, it is. We are, are actually, we meet in a church, oh, um, cool. but they wouldn't call themselves a church since it's mm-hmm. more or less, P-Todd kind of connects with a whole bunch of different churches in the city. Pretty ecumenical. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you would say that, um, and they really love connecting with other churches um so they they themselves are not a church but they connect with other churches and connect churches in different events um mm-hmm. so if people want to know more they can check out philly t 
tod.org. E Todd. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And so you didn't grow up in Philly. In Pittsburgh, that's really far away from Philly, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I moved like to on Philly. the other side. What's that? It's on the other side of the state, right? Exact opposite. Same state, two very different cities. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's the scene like in, in Philly? Like, especially like the music scene. I mean, I'm sure you were involved with the music there, right? Woo! I mean, I wouldn't know how to even answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I have played out for most of my adult life. And in Philadelphia, I would say it's much like any other city you go to. I mean, I experienced it in Pittsburgh, too. It's like when you're in, you're in. When you're not in, you're just not in. Um, and so it takes a lot to get in the yeah. in crowd. Um, mm. And I've never been in the in crowd. And I would like to say that I don't want to be. <laughs> ah, you're, you're too cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool but it kind of keeps you on the fringes and you don't mm-hmm. really know what things really look like. But um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. <sighs> and are you are you still playing music like regularly or? Um, no, I actually took this year off. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I kind of announced in January that I wasn't playing any shows this year and I've never done wow. that in my whole life. So that's wild. Yeah, it pretty, it pretty much is. And I am loving it. I just, I don't miss it right now. And it's honestly been five years coming because I was saying yes. And I was saying yes, less and less. Mm-hmm. Um, to shows just because I was, it was just exhausting at, at a certain point. I was just tired of the long drives and the loading in and the loading out. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know it's funny. I'm on the opposite opposite spectrum where I've been kicking it up this year, actually. Well, me, me and my friends have a band here in Worcester called the Big League Collective. And we've been playing for the past couple of years now. But just recently I started playing more solo stuff and I'm on fire. I'm for it, you know. I'm just like I love yeah, it. I'm excited, you know. But I'm <laughs> still young i'm gonna be 30 this year so we're oh, 10 years apart wow. <laughs> but that. yeah i mean but we got the wife and the kids to think about as well it's kind of hard to find that balance when you get oh, excited sure about it. music and whatnot mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i was really i was really curious you you got connected with like the the i think it was called the porter's gate mm-hmm. what is what was that it was it was like several years ago and i remember coming across it and like there were some big artists on there, like Josh Garrels, and, and then yeah. you were on there too. I'm like, oh my goodness, how'd you get connected with that? Yeah, you know what? I honestly don't even know. Um, the guy who coordinates the Porter's Gate albums, um, he reached out to me, but I don't know how he heard of me. Um, but he really wanted to put out a project. I think this was the first project at the time. Um, he wanted to put out a project called Work Songs, um, and it was basically worship music for the other six days of the week, um, stuff that people could relate to with respect to their professions. So all the songs really, um, really connected to uh, the, the question, like, how do we worship through our work? How do we worship through uh, a nine to five? How do we worship um, God through the work of our hands? Um, And that really excited me. And so I was excited to just be part of the project and show up um, and uh, sing with the rest of them. So yeah, it was a pretty special and pretty unique project. Yeah, I mean, did you meet Josh Garrels? I did, yeah. Oh my goodness once before at another uh, music festival uh a couple years before that but it was good to be able to spend a little more time uh in his space like we're definitely not buddies I wish I could say we are but um I I really have a lot of respect for him I I would like to uh publicly say it's so hard to find people who are exactly who you expect them to be (laughs) you know you see their you see their you know social media presence and you you make assumptions you're like man that person just seems like really awesome and like like (laughs) they seem like they're down to earth and they just seem like they're like 
100% wholesome, 100% of the time. And that is Josh Garrels. That's what I can say fully and wholeheartedly. Um, And so I I told him that face to face. I was just like, I just, you've just blessed me and inspired me so much on my own musical journey. And Mm. yeah, it was just a treat to, to get to talk with him and to just witness his presence and who he who he is and how he carries himself that's so cool he's one of my favorite artists like um I've been listening to them for the past like 12 13 years you know and so it's mm-hmm. like and I mean he hasn't put out as much these days but he's still like even some of the more recent music he's written is just so well done and, yeah. and he collaborates with some great artists too and I remember coming across that and this was after I had seen you open or I, I think Ash and Eric opened for you. I forget what it was. I think it was Ash and Eric opened for you. But this is after I had seen you play live. And then I'm like, holy, holy cow, she's playing with the Porter's Gate too. She's a pretty cool oh. person. <laughs> there were some really nice songs on there. I forgot which one you you sang. Oh, I honestly can't remember the title <laughs> right now. <laughs> there was one, I mean, around the time when I discovered the Porter's Gate, it was around the time I had my first um, first daughter. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn this was 2017 and one song on that album was um every it was like every mother every father mm. and it was all about parents mm. and like the holiness of being a parent when I it was really a song that really touched me that's so beautiful. really cool stuff on there and then like uh Josh Garrels was kind of singing some like more liturgical songs which is really cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I want to go back and listen to it yeah I think I, I'm gonna have to go check it out again <clears throat> that's cool though and so how much how much how many albums do you have out there hmm that's a great question (laughs) well i've taken a few off of itunes over the years (laughs) really as far as what is on itunes there are only two but there are four albums at this point and then one ep (laughs) are you on spotify yeah spotify too yeah yeah, it's funny, you, you take, know, you're not supposed to take stuff off, but I did. <laughs> you just didn't want it up there anymore? Or? I didn't want it up there anymore. Yeah. Were you embarrassed you know, of it? I think so. You oh. know, I think other people are fine with it and nobody cares as much as the artists, but you know, yeah. but I think I've always had this love-hate relationship with making music and performing probably more than the average artist, honestly, because making music in some ways it comes naturally, but in most ways it doesn't for me. Um, it's hard to explain, but I've always felt like like making music was excavating. Like I was digging and digging and digging, trying to find a gold. Songs never really came easily for me. Um, I was always happy with the finished product, at least of the last few albums, but then the recording process of trying to trying to get what was in my head out on an album I can honestly say the only album that I feel like that actually happened was my most recent album, Bigger Than Your Box. Like it's everything that I ever wanted a project to be and I'm still proud of it. But when I listen back to my old stuff, it's just like, I'm just cringing the whole way through. (laughs) Wow, you're so, you you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. You've written some really great music. Oh, that's very nice. Everything I heard, that was what, 2016 when I think I heard you last. Mm-hmm. and that was which is crazy to think about that was like what seven years ago wow. yeah seven years ago <laughs> wow. I mean that was great that was good stuff <clears throat> and the other thing too is like I've always preferred uh live performances to being in the studio so yeah. I think that frustrated me too it's like how do I get this live performance to come across in a studio it just never happened. You know, there's a lot of great artists out there and, and even some of my friends are great artists, but once you put them in the studio, it changes everything. They lose, the energy is different. You know, it feels different. You have to really be well-practiced. It's it's a whole nother ball game. Another ball game. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to really capture the essence of a live performance too. You got to have the right engineer. Yeah, yeah. My brother does a really great job with that. He's been recording me for the past few years now uh, you mean eric yeah eric that's awesome he's, he's doing producing and recording now he's really great at it i'm sure of it their I'm last sure. album i don't know if you heard their last album sure no. but they they did it all themselves 
Wow. Wow. Really impressive. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and tell me a little bit about your, your songwriting process. Were you writing songs? <laughs> I know, right? It has been well over three years since I've written a song, believe it or not. <laughs> hey, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, typically, songwriting always starts with an idea, an idea that just needs to be fleshed out. So most times I'll get, you know, the hook or just something singable that, that, that gets stuck in my head. And um, I'll sit on it for a bit. Sometimes I'll go to the piano and just try and find that melody on the piano. But there is this back and forth of going from the hook to going to the piano to complement that hook to maybe fleshing out a few more things musically on the piano to find the verse and then finding words that fit that melody for the verse. And so it's like this hand washing, uh, hand washing process where it's this back and forth and back and forth. Um, I think what for me makes songwriting unique or maybe makes it different for me than for other people is that a song typically takes a few months for me to completely flesh out. So I could easily take three to six months to finish a song. And the it's it's equally beautiful and equally frustrating because I want to be that kind of person who can get out a song in a day or in a week, um, but I'm just not. But the benefit of that is that life ends up informing the songwriting process. Um, and so what started off as, you know, a mustard seed of an idea ends up getting all these other ideas that compound on top of each other. And then the song ultimately has layers and layers and layers of meaning and story that make it what it is. Um, and that's what I really love about a good song is seeing how it can apply to so many different things in life. And um, I, I discovered something a few years ago when I started making art, like doing crafting just for fun. Um, and that was that doing collage work and paper mache were my favorite things to do for that same reason, like the layering. Um, so I'm kind of just finding that that process has showed up in uh art making in the same way that it showed up for me in music making that's so funny that it's uh you have your own unique process it's i find it really interesting talking to musicians about their process and and what comes first to you the music and the melody or or the lyrics it's often the lyrics but i mean i've had days where if i was just at my piano fumbling around you know I, i'd find a really great melody and and I'm like, I've got to hold on to this. I've got to make this into something. You got to record it right away. Right. You know, that voice yeah, memo exactly. thing. Captured. Exactly. Yeah. So I've had it work both ways. I've hate, I've had that happen to me a couple of times where I've had like a really inspired idea. And I'm like, oh, I'll remember it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and I'm like, <laughs> no, forget. So I make an effort to record myself as soon as possible so as to not lose the essence of what I was getting at the night before mm -hmm. but yeah that's really cool and then like for songwriting like as far as like topics like what kind of topics do you have you get into or what what kind of um yeah what kind of themes run in your lyrics whatnot I've seen that the theme that keeps showing up in my music from album to album is uh fighting against all odds to complete the journey. <laughs> I know that that sounds kind of kind of vague, but really like being persistent and really staying the course, not giving up, fighting against fear, um, trying to um, <clears throat> trying to get somewhere when you're dealing with self-doubt or doubt of other people or whatever it might be it's for me it, it kind of feels like my songwriting has always been for underdogs that's cool and i'm sure it goes without saying that faith has inspired some of your songwriting as well i find it always interesting like I've had people ask me questions like, well, you're a Christian. Well, are your songs like Christian music? I'm like, well, I don't know. That's kind of a frustrating and loaded question, isn't it? It's like, right? 
is that really the point? You know, it, right. And it I, reminds, I think this is one of my frustrations. Contemporary Christian music has hijacked music, Christian music. You know what I mean? So like when people think of, and some people get mad at me about this, but like, I don't like contemporary Christian music. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's all boilerplate pop music that's just repurposed and given fruity, fruity lyrics. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, I'm with me, you on that. <laughs> that question always frustrates me because I'm like, wait, are you saying I need to write contemporary Christian pop music in order for it to be Christian music? Like, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've always struggled with that question, and that is a low it is a loaded question when people ask me that, and sometimes I have to like do a little bit of calculating. I'm just like, am I ready to get into this now, or do I just give a simple answer to that? And you know, in my personal opinion, CCM music has gotten a lot better over the years, but there's still something about it that doesn't feel fully fleshed out, like. Mm or at least, you know, the stations are only playing a certain type of sound. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel three-dimensional still. Like you don't get to hear it all, all the different <clears throat> expressions. Um, sure. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, I think I have, I really decided that, you know, I, I personally think all music that, seeks to glorify god is is doing it's serving its purpose you know is mm -hmm. worship ultimately you know and so um yeah i don't i don't aspire for it to fit into any one genre as much as mm -hmm. i don't aspire it to fit into any one like class or <laughs> group of listeners you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah and there's something also kind of sacred feeling about songs that leave a lot of things to be up in the air, you know what I mean? Like that kind of veil things behind metaphor. I mean, and I mean, who did it better than King David? You know, if King David even wrote many of those psalms that are attributed to him, like you know, the Jew ancient Hebrews, they were not clear <laughs> when they wrote when they when they were being poetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. They weren't clear. I mean, maybe they, maybe it was more clear to them in their cultural context. But like, when you when you read the Psalms, a lot of them are really depressing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and a lot of them, but th I think that's what's good about them. They're real. You know, it's yeah. real music. It's real art. It's not just um, creating boilerplate yeah. like stuff like that. You know what I mean? So so true. Yeah, mm, it is interesting. But that's cool though. I, you know, I, I I have to go back and listen to some more music, but. Are you still playing, like, just on your own? Uh, nope. <laughs> not, not at all? No, I haven't touched the piano, and I can't tell you how long now. I'm, I mean, I'm going cold turkey. Boy, really, come on. I'm resetting. I really am. I'm I resetting. And I'm, I, I'm excited to, to, to see what comes out whenever I go back to the, the keyboard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is just really a season of just reset. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Sometimes it be that way. Yeah. That's cool. That's really neat. So Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is it is it a cool place to visit? Yeah, I would say so. You know, it's still hard for me to see it as a tourist or as someone mm -hmm. coming in to see all the sites because I grew up here. Yeah. So I don't appreciate it in the way that people who are coming for a visit do um, yeah so i don't, you're I don't not, know you're not far from the amish country though dutch country you mean in philadelphia no like in the middle like lancaster in lancaster pa yeah i mean i was out there a few years really. ago it's gorgeous out there it really is i love lancaster pa love it it's just it looks like heaven <laughs> yeah it's really <laughs> Me, special it's really unique the hills just of with the sun shining at, at in nighttime like uh in the at at dusk when the when the sun's shining across like when the sun's setting over the hills oh my goodness i almost started crying when i saw those hills it was gorgeous it's really beautiful out there yeah i had i had one more question and it's probably a difficult question 
Sure. So I mean, you can you can share as much or as little as you'd like to as or not answer it at all if you really don't want to. But I was just curious, you know, as far as you know, you're a conservative Christian, but you're also a black woman, you know. And I'm curious how that intersection of identity, how that's played out over the especially over the past like five six years, you know, with all the discussions around race and whatnot, and and. I think what's hard for me is a lot of Christians have made this discussion around race difficult, you know, and, Mm. or have tried to almost gaslight people and say like, no, we shouldn't even be talking about race, you know? And and I was curious your thoughts, like Mm. if if you'd like to share a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, this is such an interesting question to me because I I don't know if I'm living in some twilight zone or if everyone else is, what the deal is. But I think that when we look for problems, we find problems. Um, And when we're not looking for the problems, we don't find them. Um, And so I worship with a rich community of people, uh, multiracial, diverse, um, and I love it. And we don't have issues about race because we consider ourselves all children of God. Um, And so, you know, maybe there are bodies, church bodies that need to have that conversation. Um, But I typically find that I don't need to have that conversation. Um, Yeah, we have conversations about race, but it's not like, oh, well, you know, do we need to put more black people on stage or, you know, all that's, it's not petty stuff like that because then you make it about the the things that aren't important. The the thing is, are we worshiping together and are we loving each other well? And if we love each other well, then we'll do the things that that mean loving each other well. Now, when you, you you can tell when love is not in the atmosphere, when animosity and bitterness and resentment are fueling and charging the atmosphere. Um, and, And you can easily tell when that is not charging the atmosphere. Uh, I think the question that we really need to ask for a lot of places is, well, are there, is this, uh, is this church predominantly black? Is this church predominantly white because of the area it's in? Is it more a demographics thing based on what area of the city or what area of the suburb it's in? Or is it because, you know, they're not welcoming to a certain demographic or, you know, there's a lot of factors to consider, um, but in my personal opinion, when you put love at the forefront, um, everything flows out of that. And so um, you can't make people do things and feel like you're affecting change because that's just behavior modification. So if people aren't doing things ge- generously out of, the, out of the purity of their heart and convictions, then you're just getting an atmosphere that is making changes because it's politically correct. And anytime you're making changes simply because it's politically correct and because it's not where your heart is, those changes mean absolutely nothing. And we live in a culture that's all about making change, change, changes out of political correctness. Um, I personally have zero tolerance for that because it's just lip service. Um, and so that would be my, um, my heated response to that question. <laughs> No, I mean, it's really important to hear your, your perspective, you know, and, and because at the end of the day, I'm I'm just this white guy in this liberal state. So like, I don't know. You know? <laughs> what, yeah. what, I don't know anything, you know, but like <laughs> you live in you, or have you been told you don't know anything? <laughs> I mean, I, I try, I'm trying to understand it all, you know? And, and I think for me, um, I think what the thing is for me, like I, I didn't really think much about race most of my life. And I grew up in a predominantly white middle-class community that um, like this little town right outside of Worcester that um, is like 98% white, you know what I mean? Like very, but also a very conservative town as well. Um, So in like, I grew up hearing, you know, racist jokes and, jokes of anti-semitic jokes and people would draw swastikas on the on the bathroom wall and it was just like it was all very lighthearted about these very serious topics you know and I think a lot of it had to do with um 
the lack of proximity you know what i mean mm-hmm. in in yeah. melbury massachusetts we're not proximal to the black and hispanic community in worcester you know what i mean so it's hard to it's it's easy to grow un, unempathetic or just not grow empathy yeah. you know so yeah. i guess that i get from the perspective i'm coming from it's like especially since the events of 2020 trying to understand like it all it all came to the forefront I'm like oh holy crap like you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe I do have this level of, of privilege that I've kind of grown into and, and, um, and this lack of empathy I've had for a long time, this lack of empathy towards you know, like my black and Hispanic indigenous, whatever, you know, yeah. brothers and sisters as, as far as like the family of the hu- human race, but also even in the church, you know, um, but so it's just something that I've I've been trying to grapple with myself and understand. And it's important to hear these kind of perspectives, you know. Yeah. I mean, like when I moved to Philadelphia, I moved to a neighborhood. I never I uh, this neighborhood uh is is my home now, Germantown. I had never lived in a predominantly black neighborhood before. Oh, really? And I had to ask myself legit questions of like, okay, am I not associating with this neighbor or that neighbor? Am I apprehensive to initiate conversation with this dude or that dude because of you know one reason or another and I had to check myself over and over again and I found that there were a ton of biases and a ton of prejudices that I that I had that I didn't realize that I had and again it's all a whole proximity thing you know Mm -hmm. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood I grew up in a relatively affluent um, setup and so I I think these conversations are important what I don't think we should do is start making every conversation this conversation. Because what happens is that we start to create problems that aren't there. Mm. And it's not to say that those problems don't exist in some places, but they don't exist everywhere until we make them exist everywhere. And that's I think the paradigm we're living in right now in the country where everything is about race all the time. And that gets really toxic and that gets really frustrating. And it's I can getting, imagine it can be exhausting. Yeah, it's utterly exhausting. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I get really excited about um about being with other believers with in, in church context, because the church and you know, it's not every church is not perfect, and I'm sure there are plenty <clears throat> that that don't fit this mold, but um, the church church's focus is a, about knowing uh about okay so this, there's a scripture they will know we are christians by our love mm-hmm. that verse is like the guiding principle of how we're supposed to relate to each other as christians and so that is the core you know how we treat each other the love that we show each other so and that's how we know we are believers so if we are not showing each other love then they won't know that the god that we represent and at the end of the day and bottom line is like if I can't go up to my brother or sister, no matter what race they are, but if I can't treat them like they are a brother or a sister in Christ, then where is my love, you know? Mm. And then that also extends outwardly out, out to people who are not, you know, part of my faith practice. Like if, if I want people to see and know who I am because of my love, then they should be experiencing that love too yeah so love would love would be the cure wouldn't it to, to all these issues <laughs> it always has been and always loving will. god and love god and love your neighbor it really uh, is that simple it's, it's hard weird. though isn't it yeah it's simple it and not everything that's simple is easy yeah mm-hmm. that's true mm-hmm. and, and you know it made me think of like um kind of how you're talking earlier but like having the faith of a child like jesus is basically saying if you want to come into the kingdom you need to be like these children you know and and children don't overcomplicate things like we adults do (laughs) they just they just do right they just Mm -hmm. they just act upon their their impulse to to be loving their their innocence you know um and they're not looking for anything really in return a lot of times but yeah that's true really cool I, I did have actually one more question um about 
because you had mentioned in the beginning you consider yourself a biblical Christian. I was curious, like, how do you how do you use the scripture? Like, what is what is the scripture? How does that work into your your spiritual life? You know what I mean? Or even yeah. how do you? And additionally, like, how do you grapple with with um, scriptures that are hard to understand or hard to I don't know, yeah, hard to you know, hard to palate or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, get, I totally get what you're asking. Yeah, you know, if I were to say that all scripture is like is easily digestible, I would be completely lying. Mm-hmm. And I think the um the the thing that like I think people assume that they have to agree with everything they believe for it to be. Oh, let me. How am I? How should I say this? Like you have to be okay with it in order to believe it. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think sometimes you have to, to wrestle with it and struggle with it. And if you're not wrestling and struggling with it, then you're not working through a belief or a belief system or whatever you want to call it. And so there are, there are times when I come up, come to verses and, um, I, I look at them and I'm just like, Oh, but I don't feel, I don't like, like, like I, I actually had this happen a couple of weeks ago where I was reading a scripture in Isaiah. I think it was Isaiah 54. And it was about, um, you know, God basically being your provider and not putting you to shame and, um, a number of other things about God basically coming through. And as it relates to the situation I'm in, I was like, this is not what I'm experiencing right now. I'm falling flat on my face and you're not coming through for me, you know? So what does that even look like? You know, what, what, how do I reconcile with these verses? Um, so, you know, God and I had a a long standing conversation on that one and are still talking about it. Um, but when I read scripture, I, and I don't get it, or even when I do, I have to go over, I have to read it multiple times. Like I've literally been reading Isaiah 54 for about four years now. Um, and this was me coming to a head with it in a way that I hadn't before, but I like to read it over and over again, because there's always something new to get out of it. I like to read it in different translations, um, to, to see if there's something that I will, uh, look at, if there's a way I can look at it with different eyes. And then, you know, we referenced looking at the Greek and the original translation, trans, uh, translations, or the original meanings of words. I like to do that too, because a lot of times you will think you understand a verse until you understand, oh no, this word actually means this in Greek. And so it's not talking about, you know, the superficial definition of this word. It's actually talking about the the deeper definition of the word, you know, whatever. Um, But I chew on things over and over and over again. Um, Cultural context helps um, also looking at it through the lens of what I'm going through in my life is helpful. But at the end of the day, I really have to ask God to, to clarify it to me and for it to not be, uh, based on what I'm going through, because we can interpret anything, any way we want through whatever lens we're going with that, whatever situation we're going through in life. Um, you know, that's how you get genocides in the name of you know, in the name of God or whatever. So um, I don't know if that's a loaded answer, but at the end of the day, I, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand. And I also like to toss it out to my girlfriends and, and ask them questions about things too. Yeah, I like that. You gotta, because faith isn't something we just do alone. We gotta do it in community, right? Mm, yeah, for mm. sure. Yeah. That can also be a hard thing to do sometimes, but it takes letting go of pride. I find oftentimes being able to rely on other people. That's tough, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's complex. It's, uh, but, but I like what you're saying. Like if we, you know, if we didn't have to wrestle, I, I was thinking about this a couple months ago and I was thinking like, why didn't God in his providence just make scripture completely clear 
in an, in one interpretation where that everybody agrees upon. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Why wouldn't he in his omnipotence, omnipotence and his sovereignty? Well, maybe it is in his sovereignty that he's made it to be unclear so that we have to wrestle with one another and struggle and rely on him ultimately. Because if we understood it, then we would be God and we wouldn't have to rely on him. You know, it's kind of, yeah. it kind of makes that, it turns that struggle into something beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really, that's really thoughtful. I don't know. I don't know why he did it th that way. <laughs> but <laughs> but it really, I mean, it really does, it really does make you, um, make you have to rely on other people. You know, how many times have I Googled a concordance online or looked at other people's interpretations or perspectives or watched a YouTube video to get someone else's insight, asked my friends, sat down for coffee to chew over something with people. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's neat. Mm -hmm. Well, Joy, thanks so much for joining me. I sure glad that i reached out to you i just was like hey you know what i bet joy would like to talk and honestly you know you're surprising you're surprisingly knowledgeable and and oh. uh, great to talk to and <laughs> i i also like wasn't even sure if you're gonna answer me back i was like oh well we'll see what happens but apparently just thanks for being so uh, available totally yeah thanks for asking <laughs> yeah and you know i look forward to when you start playing again <laughs> yeah well we'll see when that i don't know i'll take inventory at the end of this year yeah. <laughs> well i'll keep my eyes out keep my eyes peeled but you have a great evening you too god, god bless. bless you <laughs> bye lord lord the nature of your wrath it's not an easy path but i'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust <laughs>